Hey guys, welcome back. So I actually realized I don't introduce myself on these and I probably should because I feel like more people find this than like the actual episodes that I do. So hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm your 27 year old host from Charlotte, North Carolina, born and raised until this past July up in Massachusetts. I grew up in Plymouth, hashtag pilgrims and the rock. And these are the weekly updates that I do on cases that are currently happening. And then on Mondays, I work, I I podcast with my boyfriend, Chase, and we do just an episode covering an entire case that's dedicated to that day. So we have quite a lot today, actually. We have three. We have three case updates. And most obvious, I think we're going to start with the University of Idaho murders with suspect Brian Koberger. So a Washington court has unsealed the search warrants for the office and department of University of Idaho stabbing suspect Brian Koberger, who's a 28-year-old Washington State University PhD student who's accused of murdering four undergrads in nearby Moscow, Idaho on November 13th. The warrants were initially sealed, but a Washington judge ordered the release of redacted versions of the documents on Wednesday, January 18th. Police found nothing in a search of his office in the school's Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology, but police did find hair samples, fabric with dark red stains, and a single black glove and other evidence at his apartment. In the filings, investigators described previously undisclosed evidence that they were seeking, including blood, DNA, shoes with a diamond pattern sole, and quote, data compilations of information about the victims and the King Road house where the four of them were murdered. The warrant said, quote, These murders appear to have been planned rather than a crime that happened in a moment of conflict. The warrants allege that Brian Koberger pre-planned the ambush and had studied other murders and how to avoid detection as part of his preparations. From Brian Koberger's apartment, police seized a single, quote, nitrate-type black glove, a Walmart receipt and a Dickies tag, two receipts from a Marshall store, the dust container from a Bissell vacuum, eight, quote, possible hair strands, a fire TV stick, a single possible animal hair strand, four other possible hairs, and a computer tower. Because the four victims' homes did contain a, quote, significant amount of blood, spatter, and cast-off, investigators told the court that they believed that they would find some of that evidence transferred in Brian Koberger's apartment. Once inside, police found several bedroom items, including a dark spot, two, quote, cuttings from an uncased pillow of a reddish-brown stain, and mattress covers with multiple stains. Brian lived alone in that apartment. Police said that they had relied on DNA from a knife sheath left on a bed with two of the victims, cell phone records that suggest his phone had been in the area a dozen times before the murders, and surveillance footage of a white Hyundai, like the one Brian Koberger drove and was pulled over twice in on the way back to Pennsylvania. Joseph Giacolone, a retired New York Police Department sergeant and adjunct professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, said, quote, I'm sure by now that they have the DNA on the human and animal hair, and they know exactly where they came from. If those hairs came back to any victim or the dog, they hit the jackpot. He added that police had done a, quote, excellent job with the investigation and said at this point, finding the murder weapon may not be necessary for a conviction. Officers found Zana Kernodal and Ethan Chapin together in the same secondary story room as they approached her bedroom. They located Kaylee Gonzalez's dog, which also survived the attack, in her bedroom. She and Madison Mogan were both found dead together in in the other third floor bedroom in the same bed, along with a K-bar knife sheath that authorities allege did test positive for male DNA that later linked to Brian Koberger. Two other roommates survived. 
One of them, identified in many court documents only as DM, allegedly heard crying from Zana Kernodal's room and a man saying, quote, it's okay, I'm going to help you. A short while later, police say she saw a masked man with, quote, bushy eyebrows leaving through a sliding door. Authorities previously revealed that Brian Koberger finished out his semester at school following the crime, and in the newly unveiled findings, investigators said that they truly believed that he planned to return to class after the winter break. Pennsylvania police and the FBI arrested Brian Koberger on December 30th at his parents' house in the Poconos Mountains, which was the same day that their counterparts over in Pullman, Washington, executed the search warrants on Brian's apartment and in his WSU office, which was in connection with the stabbings. This took place roughly 10 miles away from Moscow, Idaho. The court had previously ordered that the warrants be sealed for two months, citing the risk of possible threats to law enforcement, the integrity of the investigation, and public safety. But they left open the possibility that they could be made public earlier. So on Tuesday, Whitman County Prosecutor Dennis Tracy moved to have them unsealed. Tracy wrote, quote, These warrants were issued and served in Washington State because a suspect in the crimes resided and worked here during the time of the murders. These warrants and associated applications were sealed due to the sensitive nature of the investigation at that time. Since then, an extensive probable cause affidavit has been unsealed in Lataw County, Idaho, which has alleviated the need for sealing of the return of service here in Washington. I'm only laughing because I got corrected on my pronunciation of some of these towns, so I do apologize if I do not pronounce them correctly. Two weeks before the murders, Brian Koberger sent a series of messages to one of the victims on Instagram. In late October, an account that authorities believe belonged to Brian Koberger sent a greeting to one of the female victims, which is believed to be Kaylee Gonzalez. When he didn't get a reply, he sent several more messages to her. The source said, quote, He slid into one of the girl's DMs several times, but she didn't respond. Basically, it was just him saying, Hey, how are you? Hi, how are you? But he did it again and again and again. Authorities do remain pretty tight-lipped about the alleged motive in the attack. They have not publicly discussed the relationship between Brian Koberger and the victims. And Brian Koberger's now-deleted Instagram account, which was viewed by People magazine before it was removed, followed the accounts of Madison Mogan, Kaylee Gonzalez, and Zana Kernodal. But there was no public interaction that was made. It's unclear why Brian Koberger didn't get a response to his messages. However, authorities say that the victim may have missed them completely. Quote, she may not have even seen them because they went into the message requests. We're still trying to determine how aware the victims were of his existence. There's no indication that he was getting frustrated with her lack of response, but he was definitely persistent. Others in and around Brian Koberger's life said that he often was observing his own life as if it were a video game, saying he could do, quote, whatever I want with little remorse. These new revelations came from posts that he made online in an online forum which he discussed his mental health struggles, as well as from many interviews with those who knew him and messages he sent to his friends that were obtained by the New York Times. They show this man, who's anxious, isolated, and a very depressed teenager, who turned to heroin use before eventually getting clean and becoming fascinated with studying criminal psychology, saying then that he hoped to one day provide counseling for high-profile criminals. Brian wrote in 2011, when he was 16, quote, I feel like an organic sack of meat with no self-worth. As I hug my family, I look into their faces. I see nothing. It is like I am looking at a video game, but less. In an online post by Brian Koberger dating from when he was a teenager, he berates himself and talks about feeling disconnected from society, unable to find any meaning in life. He describes an array of mental health challenges, including anxiety, depression, depersonalization, lack of emotion, and, quote, the constant thought of suicide. 
This was posted on a forum website called Tapatalk, previously known as Yuku, where Brian Koberger spoke with others while suffering from a little understood neurological condition called visual snow, in which a person's vision is obscured by scattering dots, much like the static scene on an analog television that we all know. Brian Koberger did not use his name on the website, but the post included a reference to his birthday. In addition, the username on the account, Exar, matches an email address for Brian Koberger that appeared in a 2009 leak of accounts from an online payment company. That account listed his location as Effort PA, the place where Brian Koberger grew up. Some of the posts also contained the details that friends had said matched their recollections of Brian and his behavior and the struggles at the time. Friends have previously described Brian Koberger as having an intellectual bent, but said that he occasionally would become cruel and angry. The online posts from Brian's teenage years actually shed deeper insight into what appeared to be a very dark and lonely period of Brian's life. On the forum website, Brian Koberger wrote that he saw a, quote, sickly, tired, useless, and stupid man when he looked at himself in the mirror, and he felt that he did not deserve to live. He also said that he regretted treating his father, quote, like dirt, even though he considers him to be a good man. Brian wrote, quote, nothing I do is enjoyable. I am blank. I have no opinion. I have no emotion. I have nothing. Can you relate? Brian Koberger has not yet entered a plea and his next hearing is not until June 26, 2023. So that's all we have on Brian right now. I think we'll kind of take a pause from him unless there's like more and more stuff that comes out. But now... (laughs) Now, we're going to jump into what I have dubbed as the Cohasset Keyboard Warrior, because after this week, holy mother, I have literally not seen a more stupid criminal. Like, like this guy honestly just laid out a blueprint of what he did. I just, he really helped the police by making sure that he's just like signed, sealed, and delivered to federal prison. So according to Norfolk County District Attorney Michael Morrissey, 47-year-old Brian Walsh has been charged with murder on Tuesday, January 17th, as his wife, Anna Walsh, has been missing since New Year's Day. Walsh's wife, Anna, who's 39, was reportedly last seen leaving their home in the South Shore, Massachusetts town of Cohasset in the early morning hours of January, supposedly taking a rideshare service, either an Uber or Lyft, to Logan Airport for a flight to Washington, D.C., Police have found no indication that Anna either took a vehicle or boarded any flight out of Logan Airport with any recent time frame. Anna Walsh was reported missing several days later by her employer down in Washington, where the couple has a second home and where she often commutes during the week for work at a real estate company. Her cell phone has not been used and there has been absolutely no activity on her credit cards or her debit cards. Authorities have searched the family's home as well as a wooded area near their home, and the couple has three young children, ages two, four, and six, all boys. Brian Walsh was arrested on January 8th on charges that he misled investigators in the search for his wife, Anna. During the January 9th arraignment, prosecutors said that they found a knife and blood in the couple's basement, and that Brian was seen purchasing $450 in cleaning supplies from Home Depot on January 2nd. Brian pleaded not guilty to those charges and remains still in custody. Anna's body has not been located, and the DA's office, as well as local and state police, continue to investigate her whereabouts. Assistant Norfolk District Attorney Lynn Bellin said Walsh, quote, dismembered Anna Walsh and discarded her body on January 1st. The remains, however, have not been found. The prosecutor said Walsh started an extensive series of online searches on his son's iPad to learn how to dispose of a body at 4.55 a.m. on January 1st, beginning with, quote, how long before a body starts to smell. 
The searches included several questions about decomposing bodies, DNA, divorce. The de- the some of the questions were, quote, how to stop a body from decomposing. 10 ways to dispose of a dead body if you really need to. How long for someone to be missing to inherit? How long to throw away body parts? How to throw away body parts? How long does DNA last? Can identification be made on partial remains? Can you be charged with a murder without a body? Can you identify a body with broken teeth? So those were just like some of the questions that he Googled. Um, I saw a comment on TikTok that was wicked funny too. It was somebody commenting. They were like, 2.46 p.m. Can police track my Google search history? Which I'm really confused why he didn't know that the police literally can. It's 2023. There's cameras everywhere and everything that you do is safe. You have a very big digital footprint, even if you don't know that you do. Beginning on December 27th, five days before Anna disappeared, Brian Walsh Googled, quote, What's the best state to divorce for a man? So I'm guessing the answer was not Massachusetts or we would not be here today. On January 2nd, Brian Walsh was allegedly seen on surveillance video at Home Depot pushing a cart with cleaning supplies, including brushes, mops, tarps, buckets, goggles, and a hatchet. He paid $450 in cash for the items and was wearing a mask and gloves at the time of the purchase. The next day, Brian Walsh's phone data showed he traveled to an apartment complex in Abington, exited a car with a garbage bag, and then walked over to a dumpster, which appeared heavy, and then he tossed it in and left. He allegedly went to two more complexes, one of them in Brockton, threw items into the dumpster there, and then left. The prosecution stated that Brian Walsh then did more Google searches about decomposition, including, quote, what happens to hair on a dead body? The prosecutor said on January 4th that Brian Walsh went to a store and bought towels, bath mats, and men's clothes, and then went to Lowe's, where he purchased squeegees and a trash can. Anna Walsh was reported missing by her co-workers in Washington on January 4th when she did not show up for work. When Cohasset police went to the Walsh home that day for a well-being check, officers noticed the seats in Brian's Volvo were down and there was, quote, plastic liner all over the back of the car. The prosecutor said that chemists later analyzed the car and found there to be blood inside of it. Brian Walsh's phone records allegedly tracked that he went to his mother's home in Swampskit on January 5th and stopped at a dumpster there. On January 8th, police searched the couple's home and allegedly found blood in the basement and a damaged knife with blood on it. A second knife was also found, and Brian Walsh was arrested that day and initially charged with misleading the investigation. He pled not guilty and was held on $500,000 bail. When police went to track down the bags that were thrown away in Abington, they had already been picked up and incinerated. Items put in the dumpster in Swampscott ended up at a transfer station in Peabody, where police recovered the 10 trash bags. There was blood stains on the items inside, including towels, rags, slippers, tape, a Tyvek suit, gloves, cleaning agents, carpet, rugs, hunter boots, a Prada purse, Anna's COVID-19 vaccine card, a hacksaw, a hatchet, and some cutting shears. Quote, the purse and boots are described as to what Anna was last seen in. There was also a portion of a necklace that was found that she was wearing. The items were tested by the state crime lab and both Anna and Brian Walsh's DNA were found on them. Brian Walsh stared blankly and dumbfoundedly at the court as they read through their all the evidence that they had. Brian Walsh was officially charged with murder, assault with intent to murder, and disinterring a body without lawful authority, and digging up human remains. He's due back in court on February 9th. Brian Walsh's attorney, Tracy Minter, released the statement to WBZ-TV after the arraignment Wednesday. Quote, It's easy to charge a crime, and even easier to say a person committed that crime. It is a much more difficult thing to prove it. 
which we will see if the prosecution can do. I am not going to comment on the evidence, first, because I am going to try this case in the court and not in the media, second, because I haven't been provided with any evidence by the prosecution. In my experience, where, as here, the prosecution leaks so-called evidence to the press before they provide it to me, their case isn't that strong. When they have a strong case, they give me everything as soon as possible. We shall see what they have and what evidence is admissible in court, where the case will ultimately be decided. Although it is a probable fruitless, I ask that you not inundate my office, my home, or my cell phone with any media requests. I will not be giving any media interviews or comments. I intend to win this case in court, not in the media, which has already tried and convicted Mr. Walsh. According to the Norfolk County District Attorney's Office, this is the second suspected case of domestic violence homicide there in less than a month. If you or someone you know needs to escape abuse at home, call 1-800-799-7233, and you can click in the link below for more information. So that is the Cohasset Keyboard Warrior case that I have dubbed that name to because, mother of God, like I said, how does anybody type that into Google and not think that that is going to not get them caught? So February 9th, we'll be back with more updates on that one. But honestly, it sounds really heartbreaking for me just because I grew up on the South Shore. Cohasset's only about 30 minutes away from where I grew up. And the South Shore, Massachusetts is a very close-knit community. I feel like everybody kind of knows everybody from the South Shore. And South Shore people have a special bond. And then like the North Shore people have a special bond. So yeah, I don't know. It's really heartbreaking. It's just crazy that that happened. So now, also in my neck of the woods around here is the 11-year-old girl from Charlotte that's gone missing, whose parents are a little sus. Very sus, actually. I shouldn't even be saying little. They're like very sus. So Madalena Kojakari, an 11-year-old girl from Cornelius, North Carolina, which is in the Charlotte uh, area, has been missing since November 21st, 2022. Police are stumped as they're still trying to piece together the exact timeline of her disappearance and her current whereabouts. However, Madalena's mother, Diana Kojakari, and stepfather, Christopher Palmider, have been arrested and charged with failure to report a missing child to law enforcement after they had waited weeks to inform the school and police officials about their daughter's disappearance. Here's basically the overall timeline that we have of Madalena's disappearance. November 21st, Madalena is a sixth grader at Bailey Middle School, and she is last seen on video footage exiting a Cornelius school bus around 5 p.m. on November 21st, 2022, which was a Monday. This is also the last time that Bailey Middle School staff saw Madalena before her disappearance, according to Mecklenburg County court documents. November 23rd, her mother, Diana, states that this was the last time that she sees her daughter, which was the day before Thanksgiving. She said that Madalena went to bed around 10 p.m. after her mother and stepfather got into an argument. On November 24th, Paul Miter drove to his relative's home in Michigan, which is about a 13-hour drive, to, quote, recover some items. Diana went into her daughter's room around 11.30 a.m. that morning to discover that 11-year-old Madalena was gone. She waited three days until November 26, when her husband finally returned home to Cornelius, and then she asked him where Madalena was. Palmiter told his wife that he didn't know where Madalena was, and he said that he asked her, quote, the same question in return. Neither one panicked, and neither one knew where their daughter was. 
On December 14th, a Bailey Middle School counselor calls Diana Kojakari and requests a meeting on December 15th. This was the, supposed to discuss the whereabouts of Madalena as she had not been in school and the teachers and staff couldn't get a hold of her parents. The mother apparently states to the counselor that she will bring Madalena to school the day of the meeting, according to a probable cause affidavit. On December 15th, Diana shows up to the middle school, but without her daughter, who at this point has now not been in school for almost a month. Diana tells school officials and the local police who were in the meeting at the school that she last saw her daughter go into her bedroom the night of November 23rd after arguing with her husband. When detectives asked Diana why, in God's name, as a mother, she waited until December 15th to report her 11-year-old daughter missing, her mother says, quote, I was worried it might start a conflict between me and my husband, Palmiter. Cornelius police then issue a search warrant for the Kojakaris and Palmiter's residence. Palmiter tells investigators that he believes that the last time he saw his stepdaughter was nearly a week after he left home to visit his relatives in Michigan on November 24th, potentially extending the date of Madalena's last known appearance. On December 16th, Cornelius police then issue search warrants for cell phone records and the following items at Madalena's family's home. Electronic devices, articles of clothing, weapons, financial documents, bodily fluids, hair fibers, and any signs of criminal activity. December 21st, Cornelius police issue a second search warrant for additional items at Madalena's family's home. On December 22nd, Madalena's family writes out a handwritten note expressing their concern for the missing 11-year-old at the Cornelius Police Department, then they share it with the public. Quote, Madalena is a beautiful, smart, kind, loving, and a loving 11-year-old girl with greatness in her future. We are desperate to find her right now. She needs all of our help. That's not the full letter. There is a full two-page letter. I mean, I find it weird that you're writing a letter and you didn't report your kid missing for a month, but that's beside the point. On December 28th, Cornelius police arrest and charge Diana Kojakari and Palmiter for failure to report a missing child to law enforcement. They are ordered to be held on, quote, $250,000 bond and $200,000 bonds. On January 6th, the Cornelius Police Department issues an announcement asking the public for any information about any sightings of Diana Kojakari or a light green Toyota Prius between Mecklenburg and Madison County between November 22nd and December 15th to help narrow down the timeline of her daughter's disappearance. On January 10th, search warrants were unsealed. And so with that, the search warrants were executed to search her family's home and review the cell phone records of both Madalena's mother and her stepfather. The warrants do give some more information on the timeline of this investigation and insight into what police were looking for when they were searching Madalena's home. As expected, portions of the documents are redacted, and there's not a clear picture of everything investigators took from their searches or what they know. Michelle Clark Tricity, one of Diana's 16 friends on Facebook, told Fox News Digital, quote, Our friend who we know the Kojakari family through said that to us like they had no friends. That's why they would come to this family friend get together. That was really one of their only social events. I'm not close enough to know them or to know to know that. And that just came to light when we spoke with our mutual friend about it. Clark Tricity describes Diana Kojakari as quote, quiet and kind, kind of on the outskirts. During the group vacation, which was organized by a big group of friends who were close with Palmiter years ago, quote, nothing out of the norm, just more of a quiet, to-themselves kind of family. They did engage and talk and interact and have conversations with everyone, but they're just more quiet. We're pretty shocked, and my son would play with Madalena every year when we would have those vacations. They would hang out and play and do kid things, so yeah, it's pretty shocking. She also added that Madalena was 100% a normal little girl just based off of what she'd seen in her time of knowing her. 
So the search for Madalena does remain active and ongoing, and the FBI is assisting Cornelius Police Department with its search. Authorities are asking anyone with information about Madalena's whereabouts to contact CPD at 704-892-7773. And with that, that is all the updates that we have for this week. Kind of a lot. And just... Honestly, three very different crimes, but all three very horrific in their own way. We have one group of kids who were completely slaughtered, one guy who just completely murdered his wife, not fact, my my assumption, and then a little girl who's missing, whose parents probably were never going to report her missing had the school not gotten involved. Like, to me, if I asked somebody, hey, um, have you seen my child, aka my husband, and he was like, no have you seen her? And I was like, no. And then we both just went about our lives. Like that's fucking weird. I'm sorry. Sorry. Excuse my friend. Excuse me. But no, that's weird. Something's wrong there. Anyways, we'll be back on Monday with our regularly scheduled episodes. If you want to hang out with us, you can follow us on Instagram at crime with a K. If you want to hang out with us and send us an email, you can send it to crime with a K at gmail.com. Sorry, I'm out of breath. And with that, I'll see you guys on Monday. Bye.